Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This morning, as we continue our new series through the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul in Acts and beyond, last week we looked at Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. And the next thing that we read about Paul slash Saul uh, comes in Acts 11 through 13. And we have to fast forward about 12 years later. So the book of Acts, Luke introduces Saul slash Paul and his conversion, and then a few chapters later, picks back up in his life about 12 years later. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. We're only going to read the front part of the insert, just in case anyone was panicking, I was going to read all of this. We're going to read the first part now. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, his death, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Okay, Antioch is about 300 miles. Syrian Antioch is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Okay, and it became like a, a second capital of the Christian church after Jerusalem. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas was a very important leader in the early church. So many good things were happening in Antioch, they dispatched Barnabas to go help that group. Verse 23, when he, when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Now notice what happens in verse 25. Things are going well in Antioch. The church is growing. Barnabas realizes he needs help. And whose help does he seek? Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. This is about 12 or 13 years later after Paul's conversion. Verse 26, And when he had found him, Saul, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. That's where we get our name. Verse 27, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so Barnabas and Saul take up an offering in Antioch and then they go and bring it to Jerusalem. Okay. In your insert, you'll see Acts 12, verse 25. We pick back up there. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, meaning they had given the gift. 
bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so after giving the gift in Jerusalem, they go back to Antioch, but they take someone with them, John Mark. Remember that. Okay, now we're in Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, this is Paul's first missionary journey. He and Barnabas get sent off. Verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. That's on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, not far from Antioch. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, the island of modern-day Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Notice this. They had John to assist them. Verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus the magician, that's the same guy as Bar-Jesus, but Elamus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Okay, he was concerned that if the proconsul believed and trusted in Christ, that he, Elamus, he'd be out of a job. So he opposes this. Verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, Paul's his Roman name, Saul's his Hebrew name. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, at Elamus, and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Notice verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of Paul. This would have been the highest official in all of Cyprus. Verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail by Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. So they would have sailed north, and Perga was um, in what we now understand as modern-day Turkey. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. That Antioch is a different Antioch than the Antioch in Syria. I would encourage you to look at a map later. Okay, please be seated. Okay, we have a fascinating text before us today on a number of levels. The focus of our sermon this morning reminds me of uh, a, book, a, a book I came across years ago. When my sons were young, I think I've probably told you, we used to love watching a show called Finding Bigfoot. Okay, it was one of our favorites, and the boys were absolutely enraptured with this show. My 17-year-old now is too cool for school. He probably wouldn't admit that, but back in the day, we loved this show. Well, about this time, a friend who knew about this told me about a book by a writer 
who had set out to write about this incredible Yeti sighting, okay, that this author had heard about, okay? But when this author, this author slash writer, interviewed this person who had purportedly seen this Yeti, okay, he heard that it happened in the midst of an incredible story about seven prisoners who escaped from a Soviet gulag in 1941. Okay, these seven men escaped and they desperately marched out of Siberia through China, the Gobi Desert, Tibet, over the Himalayas to British India and freedom. And so when he hears about that story, he forgets about the Yeti sighting and writes a story about that incredible escape and that departure that landed these seven men in British India. That became the story. Okay, and I feel like that this morning because in the course of investigating the life and ministry of Paul in Acts 11 through 13, I came across another story, a more subtle story that has to be told that's very moving and incredibly encouraging. And it relates to the very curious case of desertion by John Mark in Acts chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. It's very subtle, but it's there nonetheless, and I want us to consider that this morning. Okay, that's, that's, that's the... That's the real story in some ways in my, my mind in Acts 11 through 13, or at least what I want to focus on this morning. So Acts 13, as we've already observed, it chronicles the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey to an area that we would understand today. It starts in Cyprus, then it goes north to modern-day Turkey. Well, not long after Paul's first missionary journey gets underway... John Mark leaves the group and goes back to Jerusalem. Let's look at the text, Acts 13, verses 13 and 14. It's in your insert. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, that's, that's modern-day Cyprus, set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, that's modern-day Turkey. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they, meaning Saul and Barnabas, went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Okay, so when they get to Perga, so they leave Cyprus, they go north to Perga. When they get there, John Mark leaves. Do you know who John Mark is? John Mark is none other than the author of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. He is the one who leaves the group as soon as they get to the coast of Turkey, and then he goes back. Okay, John was his Hebrew name. Mark was his Roman name. And I want us to, to learn a little bit more about him this morning and what happened here and why he left, because I think his story is very important. Now, in the book of Acts, prior to Acts 13, John Mark is mentioned twice, okay? In Acts 12, James is killed, okay? That's the first of the 12 disciples, the apostles, who was killed. Now, Stephen has already been martyred, but he was not one of the apostles, 
Okay, in Acts 12, James, the brother of John, you know, Peter, James, and John, the big three, the inner circle, James gets killed in Acts 12, and after James gets killed, the religious officials arrested Peter, and they were going to execute him as well. But do you remember what happened? God sends an angel, rescues Peter, and then when Peter, you know, kind of comes to himself, it's kind of a, a humorous story, he's so asleep when the angel finds him, and then the angel leads him out of the prison, and then Luke says when Peter finally came to himself, like when he woke up, and he realized this wasn't a vision, but he was actually free from prison, he knew immediately where to go. He went to a woman's house named Mary. Now, this is a Mary that we've never met before. Mary was most likely a wealthy widow in Jerusalem, and her home kind of served as a home base for the disciples in Jerusalem. And so when Peter gets freed by the angel, he knows where to go. He goes to Mary's house. John Mark is Mary's son. John Mark, his cousin, is Barnabas. Okay, so there's lots of connections here. So the first time we hear about John Mark is we learn that John Mark is the son of Mary, whose house is a home base, and that's where Peter went after he was freed from prison. Okay, look at Acts 12, 25 in your insert or in your Bible. Acts 12, 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Okay, and so remember in the scripture reading. So Saul and Barnabas equipped and ministered to the church at Antioch for about a year. At the end of that time, Agabus comes and says there's going to be a famine. And so the elders in Antioch send Saul and Barnabas up to Jerusalem to give them a financial gift to help at the time of the crisis. So when Saul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, they didn't go alone. They took a helper with them. The helper's name was John Mark. Okay, they viewed him to be very useful. Okay, got it? All right, let's continue. Acts 13, verses 2 through 5. So while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, okay, they're in Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, this is the beginning of the first missionary journey. This is where it started. This is, came from the Holy Spirit's directions. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they, meaning the church at Antioch, they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. Okay, that's on the coast near Antioch. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. Verse 5, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. What does the next part of the sentence say? And they had John to assist them. That's why John was there. Okay, we'll find out later that John, he comes from a very wealthy Christian home. Um, we're going to see later. Do you know how John, I'm sorry, do you, he's John Mark. Um, that gets confusing. John Mark became Peter's interpreter. The book of Mark is essentially the Apostle Peter's memoirs. John Mark was probably fluent in Greek, very intelligent, 
highly educated, okay? That's most likely why Saul and Barnabas wanted John Mark to go with them on this first missionary journey, okay? John, which is John Mark, is there with them, okay? Let's look at Acts 13, verse 6. Something happens. Something happens very soon into Paul's first missionary journey. Let's read Acts 13, verses 6 through 14. When they had gone through the whole island, meaning of Cyprus, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul to hear the word of God. So what we need to imagine in our mind's eye is that this first missionary journey, they sail to Cyprus, they set up in the synagogues at Cyprus, that was their home base, and their ministry was so effective, so expansive, that the highest ranking Roman official in Cyprus, Sergius Paulus, hears about it, and he summons Saul and Barnabas to talk to him. Okay, we found um, evidence of Sergius Paulus's existence outside the Bible, and Claudius's as well. Okay, so this is pretty dramatic. Here you have the highest ranking Roman official. Luke describes him as a man of intelligence summoning Barnabas and Saul, and he wants to hear the word of God. He has heard great things are happening. Verse 8, but Elamus, okay, that's the same guy as Bar-Jesus, he's a magician, but Elamus opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Like we said, if Sergius Paulus converts, Elamus is probably out of a job. He did not want this to happen. Verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. I like the word villainy. That's a pretty, you know, we don't use that word enough, villainy. Are y'all awake? That was kind of a, trying to add some <laughs> levity here. Um, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. I don't know, because that was basically the same kind of a punishment that was inflicted on Saul. He probably knows it's pretty effective, you know, and he's happy to dole out what was dished to him earlier. Um, that's not in any commentary you'll read. That's just maybe an observation for us to consider. Anyway, back to the notes. So, verse 12. Then the proconsul believed, after he sees this remarkable thing, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Verse 13. Here's the key. Now, Paul and his companions, okay, now what's interesting is, notice how Luke refers to, he had been referred to as Saul before. Now he gets referred to as Paul because he's getting ready to go out and fully engage with Gentiles and Gentile lands, okay? Luke refers to him now as Paul. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, Notice, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch. Now, if the book ended here, you would have no idea 
that when John Mark leaves, that it was a bad thing. Okay? You don't really get a sense yet that it's a bad thing. But it was a monumentally bad thing what John Mark does when he leaves. How do we know this? Turn your insert over. We're going to briefly look at Acts 15. Okay? Um, and we're going to look at 36 through 40. Acts 15, 36 through 40. Let's see what happens when Paul and Barnabas get ready to go on their second missionary journey, okay? After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So they were going to go back and check out all the churches that they founded on the first missionary journey, okay? That was the goal, verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, okay? John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. We learned that in Colossians, okay? Notice Paul's reaction, verse 38. But Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Notice verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Okay, translation, massive argument, contentious, argumentative discussion. It was so sharp and so difficult that they separated from each other. Barnabas takes his cousin Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. So he goes back to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Notice it doesn't say that Barnabas and Mark were commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. John Mark's departure in Acts 13 was not a neutral action. It was a massive, massive failure on the part of John Mark. John Mark's role was integral to the first missionary journey. And something happens that causes John Mark to abandon the group and go back to Jerusalem. I mean, just imagine how sharp that disagreement must have been. Originally, originally, Barnabas was a more significant figure in the early church than Paul. Notice that when help was needed in Antioch, it was Barnabas who was sent, and then Barnabas went to go get Saul and Tarsus. And, and in the early part of Acts, it's always mentioned as Barnabas and Saul. And then ultimately later, ultimately later, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Paul becomes the more significant figure. And they were quite a tandem. I mean, it must have been very, very difficult for them to split up and go their separate ways. Why did John Mark leave, do you think? Isn't it interesting to speculate why he would have done something so significant? Obviously, we can't know with certainty, 
but many scholars speculate that when Sergius Paulus was converted in Cyprus, he was a high-ranking Roman officer. Many scholars think that when this prominent Gentile is brought into the faith, that John Mark was like, that's not what we're here to do. We are here to preach the gospel in these synagogues. We are here to bring the people of God, these Jews, to faith in Jesus. In other words, he was not on board necessarily with Gentiles being brought in. We don't know that for sure, but I think that makes a lot of sense because it's only been a couple of years or a few years since the church recognized that Gentiles were being brought in, that the Holy Spirit was bringing the Gentiles in. And see, it's hard for us to relate to. But do you remember what Jewish attitudes were toward, were toward Gentiles early on? What were they hoping the Messiah would do? They were hoping that the Messiah would crush the Gentile nations and allow them to regain their former place. It was very difficult for Christian Jews in the early church to understand and accept that the gospel was also for the Gentiles. And so it would make certain sense, it would make a lot of sense for John Mark to be there and not totally get what's going on and perhaps say, I'm out. This is not what I signed up for. He goes back to Jerusalem. Whatever it was, it was a huge failure on the part of John Mark, and it caused a major breach. And there's no doubt that John Mark knew, there's no doubt that he knew he had messed up when Paul would not allow him on the second missionary journey. There's no doubt he knew that there was a problem when two years later, the second missionary journey, two years after the first one, Paul is still upset, so upset after two years that he splits with Barnabas over it. How do you think that trip was, you know, back to Cyprus when Paul's like, he's not going with us? I wonder what John Mark was thinking. Friends, can you relate to John Mark? Have you ever done anything that you deeply regretted? In the Christian life, have you ever experienced a significant setback or failure? You said something that you wish you would have never said. You did something that you wish you would have never done. Perhaps there was a moral failure, a failure of integrity, um, something else difficult that you deeply regret. There is no doubt that John Mark deeply regretted what had happened on the first missionary journey. In my life, there are just too many to count. All of the things that I regret, all of the mistakes I have made, you know, having been a church planter now for almost 15 years, uh, pastor for 22 years, um, there's like a Rolodex of examples of things that I would do over again if I could go back in time, things that I deeply regret, things that could have served the Lord's people so much better had I made a different decision. I, I for one, can deeply relate to John Mark. But you know what's great about this story? This is not the end for our brother John Mark. 
By the end of his life, John Mark comes full circle and is tremendously used by the Lord Jesus. By the end of the story, meaning the gospel story in the first century, John Mark is a hero in the early church. Let's, let's just consider just a few things and, and we'll be done. So if you turn your insert over, I mean, it's the same side as the um, Acts 15 text. If you look at Colossians, Colossians 4, now notice this. Colossians 4 is written about 12 or 13 or 14 years after the sharp disagreement. Okay, Colossians 4, Paul is in prison, in house arrest, in Rome, 12, 13, 14 years after the sharp disagreement, when he splits up over John Mark's previous failure, and he's giving his kind of concluding remarks in the book of Colossians. Let's read this. Go to Colossians 4.10. So kind of his final instructions at the end of the book. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, like I said, Paul's in house arrest in Rome. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Who else is mentioned? And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And then Paul provides an editorial remark. He says, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. You know, John Mark's reputation may have taken quite a hit when he separates and goes home. And Paul is saying, I'm telling you about this guy. Welcome him. Receive him. He is my fellow worker. Okay, look at Philemon, written at the same time as Colossians. Paul's in house arrest. The end of Philemon is just one chapter. Verse 23, notice what Paul writes at the end of that little epistle. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. How does he refer to Mark in Philemon? He refers to Mark as a fellow worker. And then we'll save the best for last. This is remarkable to me. 2 Timothy 4. We're now... 16, 17, maybe 18 years after the sharp disagreement. These are the final words of Paul that we have. He knows he's about to be executed in Rome. And this is what was on his mind. Verse 6 of 2 Timothy 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He realizes this is it. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. He's talking to Timothy. Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Why? Verse 10, see, Paul's been abandoned. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. At the very end of his life, the writer of the book of Acts is the only one who was with him. Luke alone is with me. Notice what he says next. 
Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Who does he want at the very end of things? He wants Mark. He wants John Mark, who he views as incredibly useful to him in ministry. That would have been an understatement at this point. The Gospel of Mark would have only been completed just a few years before. This man, who was at one time a deserter of the apostle on his first missionary journey, has come full circle and is a hero of the faith, used mightily at the end of Paul's life. God has worked transformation in the life of John Mark. What an example he is. What an incredible example of the grace of God in Christ Jesus in the lives of his people. John Mark would have never have been able to do what he did in life, no doubt, without that incredibly painful setback. You would not be who you are apart from the way that God has blessed you and grown you and molded you through the failures of your own life, through the sins and the difficulties. That's how he sanctifies us and grows us. Sanctification is a refining fire, and it is difficult, and it is painful, and it is humbling, but great fruit is born. Isn't this amazing? It's just this little story embedded in Luke's book called Acts, this little thing that happens with John Mark, or actually a big thing, and how the Lord changes his life by the end. To me, that is incredibly encouraging. As someone who's made endless mistakes in ministry, how God can use people like us and grow us and mold us and use us for his kingdom. If he can do it with John Mark and he can do it with me, he can do it with you. Praise be to God in his grace and his mercy. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for this little, this little kind of subtle story this introduced in the book of Acts and comes to full flower and fruition by the end of the Apostle Paul's life. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you and praise you not only for Jesus, not only for Paul and Barnabas. Father, we thank you this morning also for using John Mark. What could have been a setback that derailed him for the rest of his life, Father, you use for his good and the good of your people and the good of your church. Father, may we be galvanized by the example of John Mark this morning. May we not be so discouraged and paralyzed in our sins and failures, Father. Help us to see how you use those to change us and mold us and make us more like Jesus. We pray in his matchless name. Amen.